Alhamdulillahi hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fih mubarakan alayh kama yuhibbu rabbuna wa yarda Jalla jalaluhu wa amma nawaluh wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidil habibil mustafa sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd Qala Allahu tabaraka wa ta'ala fil Qur'an al-Majid wal Furqan al-Hamid wa bil walidayni ihsana وقال تعالى يا أيها الذين آمنوا قو أنفسكم وأهليكم نارا صدق الله العظيم. Dear brothers, sisters, our friends, you've probably worked out what I want to speak about today. Uh, the verse which I read وبالوالدين إحسانا which basically means obedience to parents. This is the Quran's encouragement for obedience to parents. I can see the parents getting very excited. I'm glad my children are here today. So they will be able to listen to this. But actually that's not what I want to speak about directly. I want to speak about it the other way around, which is the next verse that I recited. That O oh, people who believe, protect yourself. And fusakum wa ahlikum and your family from the hellfire. I'm not going to speak about hellfire in particular, so don't get scared. I'm going to speak about the challenges that we have today in bringing up children and what is the responsibility of the father specifically. I have fathers in front of me or potential fathers in front of me. Are there sisters listening? Our main conversation is with men today. And the reason for that is that men play a very significant role in the upbringing of their children. And there is a concept called the absent father syndrome. When a father is not present, when it's a fatherless family, or an absent father family, whichever one sounds better or more appropriate, there are actually, there's an effect of that on the rest of the family. Firstly, just to backtrack a bit, let us try to understand first all the places from where children learn what they learn and thus they grow up being that. So what are the different environments from where we learn as we're growing up through which we develop our worldview, our understanding, our behavior. First and foremost, we have the home environment. Whatever we see at home as we're, when we're children, as we're growing up, the things we observe at home, interaction between parents, siblings, relatives and so on this is how this is some of the things that we imbibe within ourselves the second environment from which we learn is generally the school most people generally at least in developed countries and in other countries they go to school madrasa they go to school so generally you had one madrasa in muslim communities which was both the secular education islamic education in the uk in the western countries we have two schools we have the secular school in the morning to which uh, our children spend several hours every day learning all sorts of things. And then we have the maktab or the madrasa in the evening for one or two hours, however long it is, in which they learn the, the madrasa information, uh, the, the Islamic education. So that is, now we have three environments from which children are learning. The last environment, or the fourth environment rather, is the society outside. As soon as you step outside your house, you're going to be interacting with people, there'll be neighbors, you'll go to the shops, the stores, you'll go shopping, 
There'll be friends outside, there'll be other people outside, strangers outside, and so on. The billboards that you see outside, people speaking around you, all of that is going to affect the child. So now we have four environments. Traditionally, that was the case. Until about 20, 30 years ago, if you wanted to protect your children, you sent them to a good school that you had full trust on, madrasa, etc. And then you kept them in the house. If you kept them in the house, not saying that that's the healthiest way to do it, but if you did keep your children in the house without a TV, you are pretty safe. I mean, maybe the child would have died out of boredom, or maybe claustrophobia, or whatever else it is, right? But generally, you would stay, you, you could protect yourself to a certain degree. Right now, in this last 10 years or so, this last decade, there is another environment. We could say in our situation, a fifth environment, which is very powerful. What is that environment? That is social media. It is hardly possible now to not allow your children to have a mobile phone after a certain age. One person kept, didn't give his daughter a mobile, didn't allow her to have a cell phone, mobile phone until she was about 16. But then she went and bought one secretly. And eventually he, they realized their mistake that he pushed it a bit too much because every single friend of hers had a mobile phone. And she just felt like the odd one out. And that's a very bad place to be in. So now, with the mobile phone, the social media and so on, you will understand the kind of influences that are coming through there. So it's, very, it's become much more difficult. So it's become difficult, but that doesn't mean that it's a lost game. As long as we're aware of the, the situation, what happens, the reality out there, then inshallah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. First, let me ask a question. Out of the four traditional environments, which one do you think was the, is the most powerful and most important environment? Out of the four original environments, which one do you think should be the most important one? The home. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Why the home? Because if in the home we can teach them in the right way how to process information that they will be receiving from everywhere else, including in school, including outside in the society, then that will be a successful child. If that child can come home after seeing something outside, after hearing something from a friend, after listening to a certain class in school, and come home and have that discussion about it and to have an understanding of what to take and what not to take from there, that could be a healthy situation. See, because we can't govern our children wherever they go because we can't be with them all the time. But what is our responsibility? Eventually our children are going to have to leave us because they're going to get older. We need to give them the tools, the understanding, the mental framework, psychological way of looking at these things to filter the information. This is good, this is bad. No, this is, this is not right. This is against values. This is against my principles, this is against morality, this is beyond the value system that I have inculcated that we live by. That needs to be very powerful. That needs to be done in a very particular way. That's why the home environment is very important. But as I said before, you could have that environment at home, protect them and not let them go outside or, what, or be very careful about who you let them go to. But now that's become very difficult because as soon as you have the phone, there's a lot of things that are going to come from there. So now, we have these challenges, what is the antidote? Well, first and foremost, they say that there are three A's. 
three A's that are very important to create that kind of relationship with our children by which they will inshallah stand by what we teach them as long as they have these three things they won't look for them elsewhere if you can have your children enjoy more at home than always wanting to be outside unless they want to go out to play and so on that's completely fine but if they would rather be at a friend's house for more hours than they would be at home then that means it's a failure that means a home environment is not a very comfortable environment it's not a very friendly and welcoming environment if we can get our children to feel at home at home rather than somewhere else that is enough of a success and as long as we're doing the right thing there are three A's if we give them these three A's inshallah the children will be ours what are the three A's these three A's are number one is affection A for affection affection is basically that they need to know that we love them I know that sometimes some of us are from certain cultures where expressing love in a particular way is very difficult we have our own ways of expressing love when we tell somebody off we obviously love our children that's why we tell them off otherwise if we don't tell our children off they're gonna grow up like weeds if you don't look after your garden if you want a nice looking garden nice pruned nicely cultured garden you need to prune it you need to cultivate it in a certain way otherwise you get weeds if people want their children to grow up like weeds all over the place and just be anywhere then that's a different story but clearly if you care for something you want to culture them you want to civilize it you want to prune it you want to help it so telling the children off for in the right way from certain things is nurturing them but that that is part of love but the children don't understand that to be loved that's the problem so you have to actually tell them that I love you which is very difficult for some of our cultures I don't think it exists to say that in some cultures Wallahu alam. there was a, a friend of mine is a chaplain in a prison a young offenders prison so what he told us is that he was speaking to some of the inmates there young guys but 1920 they're already in prison right we don't want to be there do we right this one kid he spoke to he was saying that he blames his mother for being in prison he blames his mother that that he thinks he's in prison because of his mother why because now if the children who are here if you listen to me when you go to somebody's house when you visit your somebody's house your cousin's house or somebody's house and you start playing with their toys right do you do that or you don't do that Sometimes. obviously you better do I mean, I'm just wondering where do you go then ask for a Quran or something which would be wonderful but alhamdulillah what do you do you play with toys your cousin's toys or something yeah what your your cousin's toys are generally more exciting because you've grown bored of your own toys even if you've got hundreds of them at home right what happens when you're about to leave the house what that toy what do you do with that toy when you're about to leave your cousin's house what do you do with it what do you what would you like to do with it you want to take it home right I want to take it home and what does the host family tell you you know the host family the cousin the auntie what do they say what do they say when just take it now I don't know if they really mean that or they just say that because it sounds like the right thing to say you can't say no you can't take it but what do the parents say they say no you can't well you better say that 
right? That no, you can't take it. That's what you say. Now you think, why is my parent not letting me take this? My auntie is saying, take it. My kala is saying, take this. And my parent is saying, don't take it. I'll tell you why. This, this youth, this young man who's in prison now, he says, when I was young and I used to go to somebody's house, my mother used to not have a problem with me taking something. The host family used to say, yeah, take it. So I used to take it. So I started becoming, feeling an entitlement that I'm deserving of this. So I can take whatever I want. Slowly, slowly, I started stealing from a shop, the corner shop. I got my sister involved. I'm not giving ideas here, but I got my sister involved, he said. She used to stand watch for me while I went and stole. Eventually stealing, you have to get caught. It, it, it doesn't last forever. In everything, eventually you get caught. May Allah protect us from even getting into these things in the first place. Eventually he stole from a mall. And that's when he got caught and now he's ended up in prison. His mother was the best mother in the world until now. Because she used to let him take everything. But now she, he understands now, he thinks now that his mother is to blame because she, now he realizes. So that is also love. To do it in the right way, but we actually need to tell them that we love them. That's why affection, to show affection, give him a hug, give him a kiss. Um, uh, you know, do these things, this is important. Number two. Affirmation. The second A is affirmation. So the first one was affection, second one is affirmation. Affirmation means to basically acknowledge and show that we value them whenever they do anything good. Uh, many times our attitude is that if they do well, well, they should do well. There's no need for me to, to compliment. But if they do bad, then they're in trouble. Why did you get less marks? Why did you get a low grade? But if you get a decent grade, well, you should be getting a decent grade anyway. I used to get decent grades. So you should be getting decent grades. We need to, very important here is that we need to show positive reinforcement of all the good things they do. If they've made the bed in the morning, their bed, they've cleaned up their room, that should be complimented. I know it's a duty, but it should be complimented. If they've woken up early, if they've gotten ready early for school, for example, if they've helped the mother out in the kitchen, if they've helped the father out, if whatever, if they've done anything, they need to be complimented. But don't overdo the compliment so that it looks fake. Everything they do, oh, excellent, that's so wonderful. I mean, kids are eventually going to think, man, come on, man, that's hypocrisy. Can't be excellent all the time. Like I can't like not do any wrong at all any time, you know. So it needs to be balanced. Give credit where it's due. Give the compliment because that's what you call positive reinforcement. You know, if you're doing something and you're valued for it, people do more of it. They know this, that's why you get awards. In, 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 you know, in businesses, in schools, organizations, they give awards. What is an award? It's a recognition for something somebody has done. Psychologically, it wants you to do more of that. It makes you feel good about it. And we need to do that with our children more than anybody else. So second one was affirmation. The third one, the third A is the more, probably the hardest one, which is attention. Children need a lot of attention. Plants need a lot of attention to grow well, to be watered, to be pruned, to be looked after. Children need a lot of attention. That is probably one of the most important presents we can give in the world to our children, attention. Now here, this is where I speak to the fathers, because generally mothers 
are much more closely interacting with the children so they do their part a lot of the time i know today there's challenges of whatsapp on the side right where you're cooking and there's whatsapp on the side and you know all of these other challenges are there today the so you know the dramas i mean when you had the soap opera the eastenders and the neighbors and all that 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 was once a week or twice a week i don't know how long it was but now the whatsapp is 24 7. so it's a bigger challenge today both for men and for women so you do have these challenges, but generally speaking, the mothers are more involved. And there's something that we as a Muslim community need to celebrate. You see, if you look around the world and you hear the horror stories, the stories of turbulence and oppression and subjugation around the world, the ummah is broken. Many aspects are broken. I mean, it's a reality, right? There's a book that we'll be publishing soon, inshallah, by Prince Ghazi bin Muhammad of Jordan uh, called The Thinking Person's Guide to Our Times. When it comes out, inshallah, you should read it. It's an eye-opener. He basically assesses the situation of the past, the current, and he gives some predictions and projections of the future of where the Muslim Ummah will be. But the one thing, alhamdulillah, that we still have, which is envied right, by many other people, which we should hold on to very fast, is family. Family is, alhamdulillah, something we still have. The parents don't want to let the children go. Even after they've been married and have three children and they've got two children in the house with three children each and they've got a three-bedroom house, they still want to keep them in there even though they're eating at each other's brains, right? They don't want to let them go. Uh, we don't throw our children out at the age of 18 when they go to university. Now you go and do it for yourself. You know, alhamdulillah, we eat together. We have correspondence like this and that needs, needs to be maintained because that is very healthy because that's natural. That's fitrah. That is fitrah, that's natural. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made procreation, right, to use that term, father and mother and then children. And when you have that structure, it's good. That's why when you have an absent father or an absent mother, a single parent family, for example, there are, there's an imbalance and there's turbulence in that. In fact, um, now in the modern world, we're living with two mother families. Right, that's the new idea. But recently there was an interview that I, I watched with a, a, a woman who was brought up by two mothers. Right, which obviously is not the Islamic way of doing it at all. She's saying that, she's saying this from experience. Right, she's saying this from experience, not from homophobia as they say. This, she's saying this from experience that it was not the ideal and healthy situation because humans need a father and a mother. So yes, two mothers as good as they may be, as individuals or care or compassion or whatever, you can't replace a father. And likewise, if you have just a father in the house, you can't, don't have a mother, you just can't replace that. These are natural contributors to a healthy setup. That's why it's very important. That's why it's very important to have that balance. And the father needs to be present. Now what we have unfortunately is that in some professions, like if you're a taxi driver, or an Uber. These are very greedy. Uh, they're, they're very lucrative, but very greedy. They, they take up a lot of your time. Because the more you work, the more money you make. And the more weird hours you, you work, the, the more money you make. Right? I mean, you know the spiel, right? So, for example, peop, uh, children who are in absent father homes, they tend to have, not always, but I've seen when teaching, uh, that they tend to have issues sometimes. Not all of them, but some of them tend to have issues. There was one kid, decent kid, but kept having issues. So we called his father, and it was maybe a Wednesday or Thursday that we called him in. 
And basically, this was the first time this week his father had met his son. Since the weekend. Because he says, I'm a taxi driver. So basically, in the evening when the child comes back from madrasa, lunch, uh, dinner time and so on, I'm out working. In the morning, I'm sleeping because, I, oh, you know, because I'm working at night. So I, ha- I sleep in when they wake up in the morning. He only sees them in the weekend. And now, mashallah, we had a special meeting for them in the madrasa. Like, meet your son. Right? So, generally, the, right now, there's another girl we're dealing with. She's being brought up by her auntie because they've got separate parents have been separated and some confusion and complications so auntie's bringing it up nice girl everything potential intelligent everything but she just likes to talk to everybody she just needs attention she just needs attention she's willing to talk to anybody boys whatever it doesn't matter right and gets in trouble because of that so that's why these are very important aspects they say that the um, let, let, let me get back to another uh, point these three things, affirmation, attention, uh, affection, affirmation and attention are very important. When the children know that we communicate to them, we are attending to them, we relate to them, we speak to them. And for that you need to have a home in which everything is allowed to be spoken about. There should be no taboo subject. Any decent subject, any reasonable topic should be allowed to be discussed at home. For example, if children come home and they want to discuss gender fluidity because they're being exposed to this, even at the ages of eight and nine, because somebody else in their class may, ha- may have some kind of dysphoria, they think, right? I'm speaking in veiled terms because we have a lot of children here, but you know what I'm saying? You should be a- they should be able to, your 10-year-old, 11-year-old should be able to come and have that discussion at home about homosexuality and so on, because they're learning about this. Even if you pulled your children out of SRE, they actually say that the next day they learn everything from their friends who've been. Right, so at the end of the day, we need to be able to have that discussion. Unfortunately, some homes are so stifling, so restrictive, that they can't discuss anything. Women, girls can't even reveal that they're on menstruation. It's a natural idea that a father should know this from his wife anyway. But the girl is told to say to her father that he, she's sick or something. She's not allowed to bring, she's not, it's not, it should not be mentioned. We're not saying you speak about it every day, but we're saying that it should not be a taboo subject to make, for example, if, if it's in Ramadan and the mother or the older sister is not fasting or not praying, the other children will figure this out. How come you didn't pray today? I didn't see you pray today. You're going to miss your prayer. You didn't pray. Look, everybody prayed. You're not fasting today. How come we see you eating? What's the answer they give? I'm sick. They're not sick. Menstruation is not a sickness, man. Just say that this is a holiday that Allah gives women when they get older, once a month. Simple. Basically, women get a holiday once they get older, that they don't have to pray for those days, and they don't have to fast, they just fast later on. And the details of that are technicalities you'll understand when you grow up. Simple. It should not be a taboo subject in that sense. Right? That people then feel like, I could not have that conversation in the house. So we need to be careful that it shouldn't be so embarrassing, but at the same time, we shouldn't, you, know, you don't want to start discussing things that, are, that should not be discussed either. There needs to be a balance with these things. Now, let us get to the main point of today's discussion. Specifically related to girls, it is difficult enough to bring up boys and teenagers. There are so many challenges out there. And you know, we know, everybody, as we're growing up, there are challenges. Because there's various different paradigms. 
that we're living through. But to bring up girls is even more difficult. Why? I read a report in the BBC just a, a few weeks ago, uh, sorry, a few months ago, which said, and it shocked me when I first read it, I looked at it in disbelief. It said that 25% of girls have a mental health problem. Growing up, 25% of girls have a mental health problem. I was like, this is an exaggeration. What are they saying? What do you mean by mental health problem? When you say mental health, we obviously don't mean that they're crazy. You know, like generally, the idea of mental health is that somebody who's doing some crazy things. No, not necessarily psychological problems, what we're speaking about. Depression, all of this is classified as mental health problems today. Why do they have a mental Why do 25%? In fact, some say it's probably even more. I spoke to a pharmacist recently. He says, you're absolutely right. He says, we are dispensing some crazy stuff, some really weird stuff to teenagers. Because of what they're going through. Right? Why do they have a problem? Now, this is very important. I'm going to give you six points. Before I get to those six points, the famous six points, is not those six points. Right? Basically, from an early age, right, society impresses on girls that their most redeeming quality is how they look. Is how they look. And not how they are. Not what they have as capabilities and qualities. It's just how they look. Girls see how women are judged daily based on superficial ideas. They see women excelling in the world just based on their looks. Women who achieve fame by just their looks. Highest Twitter following, Instagram following is with such models, just based on looks. Right? So now, researchers have found that the TV and the media, social media in general, provides, bombards rather, teenage girls with the following six ideas. You can't escape them. You can tell me afterwards if you disagree with this. Even as, as guys will understand this. Right? And if the sisters are listening, they, they can tell me if they disagree with this idea. But girls from a young age, when they're exposed to media, there's going to be six things that they're getting. Six messages. Constant bombardment of six messages. From people around them, from advertisements, commercials, uh, media, movies, programs, dramas, etc, etc. Number one, your looks are the most important thing about you. That is one message. That your looks are the most important thing about you. How you look. Right? So think of this as one message. My looks are the most important. I need to look the best. This is what the reaction to this is going to be. Number two, your physical characteristics, which are your looks, basically shape, well, they're never ever going to be good enough. On the one hand, it's telling us that your looks are what are the most important thing about you. But the second point it, it gives us, the second idea that comes about is you're never going to be good enough though. Can you believe it? Can you see what kind of pressure that creates? What it means by, and why would it be that you are never going to be good enough? Your physical characteristics are never going to be good enough. What are physical characteristics? Now tell me if you can relate to this. Number one, shape. I mean, look at, for shape, what's going on out there. You know, liposuction, all sorts of, you know, various different things that you can do. Pay, and you can do it. 
weight, skin, hair, teeth, color, smell, smell perfumes, advertisement of perfumes, of color, right? Whether that be hair color or, I mean, I was in Sri Lanka a few months ago, several months ago, and then India. And people in Sri Lanka generally darker complexion, that's their beauty is in their darker complexion. But all the billboards have lighter skin people. I was like, what's wrong with you guys? How come there's all lighter skin people up there? Is that like your ideal or something? And then I go to India, and so you get this, I mean, people may know about this thing called fair and lovely. Right? I don't know if you get that in Bangladesh. <laughs> but basically, that, it promises you fairer skin. Because they've, glor- they've, they've glorified fairness. As though there's something wrong with darkness as such, you know, a dark complexion. So you create a construct, you create an idea, and then you sell people, you know, products based on that. And they're basically laughing all the way to the bank. So now I go to a friend's house and I went to two bathrooms. We've got a big house, two bathrooms. Each one of these bathrooms had several fair and handsome products. So forget fair and lovely, these were the boys' bathrooms, so fair and handsome. One of my companions who was with me, is a bit dark. He even then went out and bought some to bring back. Because at the end of the day when you think you have an issue and something is promising you, even if you believe it's a gimmick, you're still going to try it. Right? Subhanallah. Subhanallah. So the, the point I'm trying to make is that in terms of your hair, you know, the, the reason why this is such an important point is this. In the first point, you're saying they're being told that your looks are the be- most important thing about you. But then in the second point, they're being told that you're never going to be good enough. How are they being told you're not going to be good enough? The way they're told is this. The way we're told is this. You see, majority of people are average looking. They're decent in terms of handsomeness or beauty, men and women. You get the few who are exceptional, that's why everybody looks at them, right? Then you have the other end of the spectrum, but let's just focus on this end, right? You have the few exceptional, very beautiful, very attractive people. They become the models. They're the ones who are chosen by companies to represent them. What they do is they put makeup on them, right? The most professional makeup artists are brought in to do that. So already they look unnatural. They're already beyond just their uh, God-given nature. Then what they do is they take the photo shoot, they, they do the photo shoot, they f- shoot the footage. Then they use computer manipulation program software to make it even better. Right? That's a bit out of proportion. Right? Take that blemish away. Right? The, the thing which even the makeup couldn't hide, the software can hide this. What you're seeing out there is not natural. So when you see that, you want to be like that. You try, you spend money, you make an effort, you buy the makeup, you buy the hair products, you buy the skin products, you buy the fragrance. But you can't be like that. Can you see the conundrum in your mind? Can you see the tension? Cognitive dissonance. So I need to be the best, but I can't be the best. That is the best. That is not ideal. I go, when I go to Costco, I see these TV screens being sold, those 4K and I don't know what the latest one is. And the color on there is 
out of the world, literally. What I mean by out of the world is literally speaking. It is not even realistic. They're saying that represents reality. When you go outside, you don't see that kind of color unless it's a very good day. And here you're seeing these vivid colors. You think this is fake. It's just the next thing up because, I mean, they've lost ideas now to what else to do. I mean, it's flat, just waiting for the roll-ups now, right? Roll-up screens. But basically, they just have to sell you something new. Our nafs wants it. They know that. We like new things. This is the second message that girls are getting. You will never be good enough. Can you imagine now the depression they're going to be going through? Every morning when they wake up, they have to worry about how they look, how people are going to judge them. Girls judge each other. And men do too. That's a massive pressure on our girls to be judged like that every day to have to spend so much time to look a certain way. And then to have to put your picture up on Instagram and other places to be liked, to have an idea of, you know, uh, uh, self-dignity, self-validation. It's a massive problem. Number three, I'm going to say this one fast. The third point is a totally different point. But the third point is that sex is primarily a currency that you exchange for love and attention or for power. That concept, that idea, I'm just um, using the word quickly, right? Uh, it's the whole idea of it is that it is only a currency in this world today. If you want power, you want to fit in you want to gain influence, you want to have people after you, then you use it for that. It's no longer what it's supposed to be from an Islamic perspective. We need to correct this perspective because even Muslims think it's a dirty thing. Yes, it's not something you openly speak about, but it is a very pure act. It's a religious act. Imam Ghazali and others, rahimahullah, he says uh, in, his kitab, uh, in his book on Kasr al-Shahwatayn, he says the benefit of procreation, of copulation, husband-wife relationship, marital relationship is number one, procreation. To continue the human race. This is the system of Allah that He provided. How can that be a bad thing? Number two, it is a, it is a sneak peek into paradise, the pleasures of paradise. Because it provides one of the greatest levels of experience of pleasure in this world. And by that, what, where our mind should be going is that the paradise pleasure of paradise should be even greater. That's why for some people, this is actually a way to get even closer to Allah by understanding the pleasures that are awaiting for us in the hereafter. So it's not a dirty, that's why it was called love making. Right? Until, you know, we start using dirty words for it and considering it a bad idea. So now the, our girls are being told that this is a currency. Do you understand? We're being told that it is a currency. Then number five, sorry, number four now. Then it's, it's from number three, it's, it carries on, that it's normal to have this with people you don't even know or that you don't even care for. Why? Because it's a currency. So to fit in, you're going to have to do things. If you want to somebody to be with you, just like your old friends have, you don't have, you're going to have to send pictures of yourself. You're going to have to do certain acts because everybody else is doing it, so you're going to have to do the same thing. 
how can they have decent marriages afterwards when this has been the, the behavior, the approach and the experience when growing up? They regret it for the rest of their life afterwards. Sometimes it's so damaging. And for some people they've actually committed suicide because a picture was leaked. A picture is only yours until you have it. But as soon as you give it, this cyberspace is merciless. It never forgets it says. Right. And even if you think that it's only, they'll only see it for two seconds or ten seconds. I mean, there's ways of capturing that. One has to be just totally avoiding this thing. It's completely haram to do this kind of stuff anyway. But even from a non-religious perspective, it's, it's ridiculous. Right, number five. As though that's not enough now. Number five, this world, they're being told that this world is a very scary, lonely, dangerous, and very competitive place. Because everybody's selfish. Everybody to themselves. Right. And then, they say, and then the message is, you better get going though, because you're going to lose the race otherwise. Now that's worse with girls, because with girls or with women in general, they feel that they have a certain age after which they don't look as attractive anymore. Right? It's just about the nature of it. Of, all of that is very subjective, obviously, but that, that's what they feel. So it's a race against time that there's an expiry date. Do whatever you can, however you can, by hook or crook. Just fit in, be accepted, self-validated. These ideas are all modern ideas, basically, right? of these nafs. And finally, the last one, number six, is the answer to all of life's problems is to go and buy something, to shop, to spend some money, online shopping, offline shopping, going to the malls, just go and buy something that will, you know, to be honest today, the way people are living their lives in a source of, in a, in a, uh, in a state of intoxication almost. As long they th people feel that as long as they've got Amazon Prime, so they can literally order things to arrive the next day or even the same day sometimes. And number two, you've got a Netflix account, and hence you can just watch and entertain yourself to death. As soon as one thing finishes, the other one comes up, and it's endless binging. You've got nothing else to worry about in this world. Who cares about God? Who cares about afterlife? Who cares about anything? Who cares about the faith? Who cares about earning even? Spend on the credit cards. And then keep transferring from one to the next. There's ways to do all of this. That's basically the last message. Now obviously some of these messages are shared with the guys. Right? And hence you have an increase of men's hairdressers now. They call them barbers though. They still call them barbers. Right? But now if you look on the high streets, I mean, they've suddenly... You used to get one. And now you get... I mean, on the, the, the street that I go past, every fourth or fifth shop is a Turkish hair, hairdresser. Right? Alhamdulillah. But you know what I mean? It's... The, uh, basically, this narrative of these six points is being perpetrated by the media, by TV, by the YouTube clips you watch, whether you watch, you know, proper TV or not. This is the... All of these six ideas is what they're getting. Right? It's all money making behind it. Much of it is capitalism because it's all big companies. They create a product and then they engender a desire. 
using the best psychologists, psychoanalysis, to understand how the human nafs works. They're masters of the human nafs. Right? The Sufis were masters in the human nafs in trying to reform them. And these guys are masters in nafs corruption, literally. Right? So, the emotional attachment to the characters they see online who are basically propagating these ideas, sub, uh, not directly, indirectly, right? That's why it is important for us as Muslims to enhance the family environment at home, to make this the most powerful and the most important environment, the most comfortable environment, the most friendly environment, most welcoming environment. That requires parents to be above the curve. They should know what's going on. They can have these discussions, right? They can show that balance of friendliness. They're not just overly strict, but they're also not overly lenient. They need to create that in the home. And the final point I want to make is that since our daughters and our women of our community and our families are going through such a stress, of looking for this validation elsewhere, that validation needs to come from home. And that's why mothers, but more specifically fathers, should actually tell their daughters that you are beautiful. MashaAllah, you look very beautiful today. That's an acknowledgement. So that if they don't hear it from here, there's a lot of Tom, Dick and Harry's outside who are just more than willing to praise them. To say, hey, you look so pretty today. And if that's the first time you're being told about something like that, like, yeah, man, you know, I need to do something with this. When girls even come out of Islamic school and they go into college, a mixed college, you know, it, it's havoc for them. Because left, right and center, they're being told, man, you're so pretty, whatever, just for ulterior motives. Right? It's ulterior motive. That's why girls and boys need to feel accomplished at home, satisfied at home. They don't need it outside. So tell your daughters and your sons, but tell your daughters you're pretty. But every time you acknowledge their beauty, th this is where you have to use the one to four rule. Very important. What is the one to four rule? Every time you tell them you're pretty, which you should do, three times as much, three times in addition, so four times, acknowledge another quality of this. If they've been kind, acknowledge their kindness. If they've been compassionate, acknowledge their compassion. If they've been helpful, if they've been generous, if they've been loving, if they've been caring, if they have basically helped out, if they have read something, if they've worked hard, acknowledge all of that. So every time you say they're pretty, say four times there's something else as well. That means that they will understand psychologically that, you see, because when you get praised about something, you think that's the most important thing about you. But if you're getting praised about one thing once, and other things more times, then you can imagine that psychologically you'll start believing that these other things are more important, as they are more important. Because other qualities will endure. Generosity doesn't end. Prettiness does, unfortunately. And if you no longer have that quality, then you're going to be in big trouble. But generosity, kindness, care, goodness, all of that will, will endure. So we need to acknowledge that. Let's start doing that today. So. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during this month of Ramadan when He is at His most generous, I would assume. Because can you see how people are so generous during this month? Giving so much 
Then imagine what Allah is. It says that the Prophet ﷺ was the most generous in the month of Ramadan when he would be reciting his Quran with Jibreel. ﷺ. That is when he had the greatest level of generosity. We see people are very generous. Prophet ﷺ was the most generous in Ramadan. There's something about Ramadan. Allah must be the most generous. So this is the time we're going to ask him that Allah help us to understand these statistics are useful. These pointers are useful. There's a lot more that we can learn. There's a lot of good work out there even by you know, some non-Muslims, right? A lot by non-Muslims that have good moral values to them and they've, they've done a lot of research on this. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit but above all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to preserve ourselves and our children. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara wa quuduhan nasu wal hijara alayha malaikatun ghilaadun shidaad la ya'asoon Allah ma amarahum wa yaf'aloona ma yu'marun That's a very important responsibility we have. Allah allow us to fulfill it in this world and be accomplished and uh, be successful in this regard. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين جز الله عنا محمد ما هو أهله Oh Allah, we are in this beautiful month of Ramadan. Oh Allah, we ask you for your special graces. We ask you for your generosity. Oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy. Oh Allah, we ask you for your benevolence. Oh Allah, we ask you for your special attention. Oh Allah, we ask you for your blessings. Oh Allah, do not make us of the deprived ones. Oh Allah, this is a month in which so much is given and spent. So much generosity is expressed. Oh Allah, your Prophet was the most generous during this month. Oh Allah, from this we can understand how generous you are. You've closed the doors of hellfire. You've opened the doors of paradise. You've locked up the shayateen. Oh Allah, you have descended so much mercy and so much rahmah that you've, you've increased the reward of every 70 times and for every optional to every optional worship to that of an obligation. Oh Allah, that's why we ask that you give us a share of this today. Oh Allah, during this month. Oh Allah, make this Ramadan month better than any Ramadan we've spent before it. Oh Allah, make us closer to you during this month than we've ever been before. Oh Allah, forgive all of our sins. Those we remember, those that we have forgotten, those that have now become part of our life and no longer do we consider them sins anymore. O oh Allah, grant us understanding and discernment and beneficial knowledge. O oh Allah, protect us from wasting our time and being distracted. O oh Allah, remove these pressures. O oh Allah, allow us to be immune to these pressures that we've just discussed. Especially our young brother, our young daughters and our young sons. Oh Allah, allow our ummah to thrive. Oh Allah, remove the oppression and the subjugation that the ummah is feeling around the world. Oh Allah, bring back humanity to the human being. Oh Allah, make us of those who are keys to goodness rather than being keys to any evil. Oh Allah, we ask that you accept our du'as, that you accept from those who've established these masajid and marakis and these establishments and these organizations and institutes. And oh Allah, that you ask, you allow us to be aware of the challenges and to deal with them. Oh Allah, empower us. Oh Allah, strengthen our weaknesses. And finally, Oh Allah, we ask that you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi wa barakatuh.